Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode... Those days when we don't want to get up off the sofa and go for a run or we've looked at our session plan and it looks horrible and we've got all of these excuses, if you've got that bigger purpose, it's much easier to go... I need to go because... Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plod. And here's your host, Jake Lowe. Welcome to Running with Jake, the podcast, your weekly dose of running motivation. Welcome back to the show if you are a regular listener. And if you are a regular listener, then it will have been a week since we last lifted your spirits and got you fired up. If, however, you are the host of Running with Jake, the podcast... Then it's been a few weeks since I last recorded the show. It feels a bit strange because we release these episodes every single week, but actually I have been away for two weeks in Greece. If you follow me on Strava or Instagram, you'll know that I have been away. So it feels like I've been out of the recording studio for quite some time. This is a bit weird, so please forgive me. I just need a few moments to settle in. Um, but I am here. I am here. It's great that we're back, though. It's great that you're back, because today we're partnered with somebody very special, Jake. I mean, this is a great day for you to be back. We've always said this. We've always been offered, like, different things by different people and, you know, different sponsorship deals. And we've always said, no, do you know what? If the product's right, then we'll 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 do it and we'll, we'll um, agree. And that's absolutely cool, because it's all worked out on this occasion. Um... We are partnered for this episode with Athletic Greens, okay? Um, and we're taking AG1. You know that AG1? I don't, you know, I don't know about this stuff because you must admit that I'm a, a, an unhealthy guy and I'm now of an age where um, I've started to feel unhealthy and I've thought to myself, come on, let's, uh, let's feel better about life and stuff like that. And I thought, you know what, I need a tip in the right direction with um, some supplements. I found out about AG1 and started taking it. And I must say that initially I was concerned about health stuff because I'm very suspicious about health stuff, you know what I'm like. But having tasted it, I went, actually... That's all right. I'm okay with that. How's it going to make a difference to me? Well, I was really surprised that you actually took to this. You you started using AG1 before I did. Now, you messaged me and say, look, these guys, Athletic Green, they've been in touch. They want to send us some AG1. This stuff sounds great. It sounds like it's right up your street, Jake. Check it out. But obviously, I was going away on holiday. But, but the perfect thing is I actually took their single-use sachets away with me on holiday. So I had, I had priorities when I pack. I'm meticulous. Three priorities now. Normally two, three priorities. The first one is obviously running shoes. Got to pack those. The second one is electrolytes to replace important salts that I lose through sweating, particularly if I'm going somewhere hot and doing some runs like Greece. But then the final thing I packed was the single-use sachets, the AG1 sachets. And i tell you why I was so up for this when you mentioned it. It was a bit weird because... Because these guys have been on my radar for quite some time. Now, as a running coach and as a runner myself, I really believe it's important to look after yourself from the inside out. And I genuinely mean that from the inside out. Now, that's that's mental health and wellness as well. That obviously includes gut health. You know, what's going on in the inside? Let's not just worry about the training sessions, the runs, the races. It's everything. And the reason I started using it was, A, it's been on my radar for a while, so it was kind of weird that the guys got in touch. But secondly, as a runner... 
I'm still looking at improving my performance. So regular listeners to the show will know I, I still want to improve my marathon time. I'd love to go under three hours one day. But I want to start looking at the other elements, perhaps with a little more focus than I used to. So not just the runs, as I mentioned, but how can I fill in those gaps, those blanks? Does that make some sense? What can I do to feel well, to perform well, to recover well, to sleep well? All those fundamental principles, if you like, that, that we know is good for health. And that's one of the reasons that I was well up for this. But so I started taking it, 75 vitamins in one scoop. I'm up for that. Sounds pretty good to me. Convenience is a massive factor, isn't it? Because if something's hard work, if it's an effort, if there's barriers to actually doing something and creating positive change in your lifestyle, you're less likely to do it. So the fact it's just a single scoop, nice and easy, I was well up for that. But I couldn't believe how excited you were on the phone. And you actually started taking it before I did. Because I thought, well, I want to start, start properly with this, you know. So maybe, maybe I'll wait till I'm actually in Greece and I start there. But you, you, you hit the ground running. You started taking this stuff before me. I'll tell you why. Because I like one solution. I like one supplement. That's it. It's done. It's part of your routine. You have it first thing in the morning. One scoop. Done. You have it before breakfast. I'm even having it before my coffee. And by the way, as far as the price of it's concerned, Concern because the other thing is I'm pretty tight. Um, it's actually if you, you're a tight guy, yeah, I am. Tight. Yeah, if you work it out, it's actually cheaper than like a coffee a day. That's how it. That's how it works out financially. And then I, I, I can't. I, <laughs> I have noticed that it's kind of, I feel more alive, and I don't know if that's the AG1 that's doing it directly or if it's just because I've decided that I'm going to pick myself up and do something that's a little bit more active and a little bit healthier for me, and that's all part of it. So I, I don't know if I can blame it completely on that, but did you? I, I saw the other day that like Lewis Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton uses it, and if Lewis Hamilton uses it, it can't be bad. <laughs> You know That's I mean? a pretty good endorsement. It That's is. a pretty good endorsement. Absolutely. I think there's, there's so much stuff out there that you can take, obviously, and, and th there's only so much that we can do to help ourselves and so many different supplements and things that we can do to improve our health. But and you, you don't want the confusion either. You want the simplicity. So for me, I was, I was all for it. And I'll tell you a big, I suppose, selling point in some respects for me or what kind of I really... I suppose it's when I'm thinking of doing something nutritionally, making some kind of change, whether that's some kind of recovery shake or whether that's some uh, energy gels or, or whatever it is that I'm taking, I'm quite conscious of sugar, refined sugar. That's something that's very, it's at the top of my mind. I mean, sometimes Martina and I, my girlfriend, will we dip in and out of my fitness pal. So some people listening to the show will be familiar with that. It's an app where you can kind of track your nutritional intake and calories and macronutrients, fats, proteins, carbohydrates. But I'm really conscious of sugar and, and I try to sort of minimise it, you know. I mean, I like sugar like everybody. I like food and I like to treat myself, but I'm quite conscious of, of, of keeping that quite, you know, low. I don't want to be adding things in that's boosting my sugar intake. But less than one gram of sugar per scoop, yeah, which is cool yeah. for me. And I, and I tell you how I take it as well, Pete. So I, you started before me, but I have a bit of a morning routine. So first of all, I wake up, which I think is always a good start to a day. And then I have a fruit juice. So I have a fresh fruit juice, whatever it might be. And then after that, I immediately weigh myself. And not because I'm paranoid about weight, but I just find it easier to do it every day than kind of periodically. So that's kind of my morning routine. But what I've started to do now is I've, I've I don't bother with the fruit juice anymore because I can't consume too much liquid before breakfast. So now I have the AG1 instead. And it's working really well for me. I don't even think about it anymore. I just do it. Bang a scoop and a shake. 
Easy. Do you know, right now, though, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, Okay, This is the scripted bit. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. It's that simple. We've just said it it is. That's it. There's uh, And Jake mentioned the little travel packs as well that you can take away with your dead, dead, dead convenient. No need for a million different pills and supplements to to look out for your health, which is the big thing that that suits me. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply you you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and five free travel packs with your first purchase that's a deal okay all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash running again that's athleticgreens.com forward slash running to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate i said the ultimate daily nutritional insurance because that's what it is and this is the unscripted bit if you're not sold yet check out that bad boy scoop look at that no cheap plastic there no good for the environment that bad boy is precision engineered you can do some damage with that fella i'm telling you Impressive stuff. For the show notes and video content, go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Running with Jake, the podcast. Today's guest I am very excited to have on the show. It is none other than Dr. Josephine Perry, although today we're going to call her Josie. It's all very relaxed on the show. We like our guests to feel like they are friends of the show. Josie is a sports psychologist specialising in endurance sports, uh, working with athletes and coaches to help them enhance their performance through the use of of sports psychology. Josie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. No pleasure. I'm really excited to have a chat with you because your specialty is right up our street. I mean, personally, this stuff fascinates me because I think it's very easy for us to think about, uh, certainly as runners, to think about the sessions and the races and the physical elements. But obviously, we know that the mind and the psychology behind training and racing and pushing ourselves is fundamental. First of all, I want to know a little bit more about you, Josie. What got you into the whole world of sports psychology? Because it's a massive thing, fascinating. Where did, you, where did your passion start? I wasn't sporty at school at all. I was that kind of caricature of the kid that was always picked last in the playground for games. Um, was not my world. And then I got into running a little bit as an adult, doing kind of race for life with friends. And then eventually ended up in triathlon. Um, and But I, I didn't... I wasn't sporty. I didn't feel like I'd ever be particularly good at it. And I'd also never really thought about using my brain, which is quite good, to, to be better at sports side. I was always the real academic geeky kid at school. And then I went over to Australia to do Melbourne Ironman. And I was standing on the beach in Frankston, which is where they have the race there. And the waves looked utterly horrific. And I'd done all my training in London in nice chlorinated 20 metre swimming pools. And then suddenly there was the the ocean that I had to go and swim in. And um, the guy on the tannoy said, you guys can't control those waves. You can only control how you feel about them. And that was my light bulb moment of, oh my goodness, if I use my brain, I might be a bit better at this stuff. Um, I I could see it a bit differently. And I did manage to get in the water. Um, I'm not sure where I came out because the waves really were bad and we all just got kind of blown along the beach. Um, But I had a brilliant race that day afterwards and it kind of got my mind thinking about 
how could I be better at triathlon at Ironman if I thought about it very differently and the sports psych wasn't really talked about that much then this was 2013 um and I read a few books and I really started to think oh this could be interesting um and I thought well if I went and studied psychology it's helpful anyway. I was working as a communications director, so understanding behaviour change is always going to be beneficial. Um, So I went and did a year's conversion course into psychology and then actually really loved it. So I ended up studying sports psychology specifically. And then I discovered you have to do three years of training to be a sports psychologist. So I did all of that as well. Um, and I've been very fortunate to be working in it ever since. And, and the use of the word performance, so enhancing people's performance, and I know you work with people, I understand, in the business world as well as the world of sport, using sports psychology and those fundamental principles to help improve performance. I find that word fascinating, Josie, and I'm interested to get your take on this. And the reason I say that is I think when people think about performance, particularly in relation, I guess, to running and when they're goal-driven, they start to think about you know, fast runners and fast times. And, and sometimes I think people can put themselves in a slightly different bracket. And they, they if, I, if I sort of said to one of my runners that perhaps I, I was just on to work with, oh, you know, you're a performance athlete, they, they would, oh, no, that's not me. You know, I'm not a proper runner. I'm not a performance athlete. I'm not a... And my, I, my comeback always, the way I push back with that is, well, performance, if, you're, if you want to improve in whatever way you want to improve, you need to increase you need an increase in performance. You need to find something to, to make a step forward wherever you are. So I find the word performance very, very interesting. Can you tell me a little bit more about the psychology behind performance and, and, and how, I guess, we can use some of the psychology sort of tips and tricks to, to help our relationship with, with improving our performance? That's a really interesting area because performance isn't a level or a grade of anything. We're performing all of the time. Right now, you and I are performing in a way by talking publicly. Um, We take an exam, we're trying to perform. I guess it's, it's more a way of thinking about how we're behaving. So it's the stepping up to do something better, maybe a way of thinking about it. And so sometimes in training we might be performing if we've got a session that feels like it's a step above where we are right now and that can be quite a nice way of thinking about things of we want safe places in our lives we need some safe places where we feel really comfortable and so for a runner that might be going out doing an easy clocking up the miles just getting some enjoyment in our legs type run but there's going to be maybe you've got a fartlek or an interval session and that feels more like performance and that's not going to be a safe place for most of us for most of us that's going to feel a bit threatening because if we don't do what was on the training plan we might feel like we've we've failed and so i find it really helpful to think about i i talk with my athletes i work with about three kind of places in the brain that are important when we're trying to perform So we have kind of a habit zone, which is where going out for an easy run, you're not thinking about your foot placement or where your arms are or whether your head is up. You just go out and do it because you've run thousands of miles before. And that kind of sits in your habit zone. That's lovely. It's a safe place to be. And then we have a logic zone, which is based around our prefrontal cortex in our brain. And that makes really good decisions. So that might be that you're out for a run 
and you come to a fork in the road and you know one route is going to take you the right distance that your coach had set you and another route might be beautiful but it's a lot longer and you're you're spanning back into your brain of like what should I do right now and you make an active decision do I go out for the enjoyment or do I follow my coach's message and again that's absolutely fine you're often making the right decision for yourself at that moment but we have this third part of our brain which is like a threat zone and it's constantly looking out for threats and risks And if something is important to you, like running, when you have to perform in running, step up to push yourself to do something where you could potentially fail, that tends to trigger. And that has very strong implications for our physiology and for the way we are able to to do that performance. So I think it's really helpful for people to understand when am I expected to perform? Because that's when those triggers might come and there might feel some threat there. And when can I feel safe and just do what I enjoy without having to think about it? Um, And we want lots of that enjoyment element in our life. We shouldn't have to to push to perform all of the time because that can just get utterly exhausting. I've never heard it phrased in that way, Josie, and I actually really, really like that, talking about the safe place. and, And I guess I get from what you're saying... The, the balance of so you don't want to be out of your comfort zone all the time pushing yourself stressing yourself feeling fearful and, and trying to push for performance sometimes it is about just staying in the safe place and and having that enjoyment and going out for a run for the reasons you want to go out for a run almost those fundamental reasons i really really like that i mean w- tell me a little bit about the comfort zone because i mean we need to push out of this we need to break the barriers if, w- if we're going to improve our fitness if people are working towards you know clear goals in different races what sort of advice and thoughts do you have to somebody that perhaps feels quite fearful when it comes to tough training sessions and races, but we know that actually for them to improve, they need to step a little more often out of the comfort zone? What, what sort of advice do you have for somebody like that? I like the idea of feeling like you've got a drone above your head looking down and being quite clear with yourself, this is in my comfort zone or this is outside of it. Because often what we tend to do is get quite grey in the middle And I get so many coaches that I work with will complain that their athletes are working. I'm not physiological at all, so I don't know the zones kind of thing, but that they're working in that grey area in the middle. So their easy runs are too hard and their hard runs are too easy. And so we tend to slow down improvement. If you can have that kind of drone above your head and be really clear when you look at a session that your coach has put out, Should this feel super easy? That's okay. That's what they're telling me to do. That helps a different system than that one I've got later. I can tell you, I've got a horrible session this afternoon that my coach has given me. Um, But it definitely helps by not just thinking, oh, I'll just go out and see how I do. Of, right, I need a proper amount of time. I don't need to rush it. I know this is going to be hard. And that's okay. I'm accepting of the fact it's going to be hard. I'm accepting that I might fail a little bit. But it feels like this is one of those, call them gold medal sessions. The ones that you can look back on and go, that one helped me improve. And so often I spend a lot of time working with athletes on how do they communicate better with their coaches. So they really understand why they are doing those sessions. And that helps us see like the... This is one that should be outside of your comfort zone. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. 
Um, and this one, yes, it should feel super easy. Don't beat yourself up that you're not working hard enough. There's a reason you're doing it super easy. And to have that oversight about why am I doing this, it means we can push ourselves when we need to. So we, we're talking about that awareness and then acceptance of that situation or session. So in the case for yourself, tough session this afternoon, knowing why you're doing it, having awareness of it, knowing it's going to be challenging, knowing it's one of those gold standard sessions, as it were, that's really going to boost your fitness, help you work towards your goals, and then accepting that situation. That's quite, if I've got that right, and please tell me if I haven't, that's quite an important part, isn't it? That acceptance, because I guess, and I'm thinking as I speak here, if you don't accept, which sometimes I don't in some of my own training and sessions and other areas of life, Josie, you're almost kind of psychologically pushing back against it there's there's it, to me it seems like there's a bit of an inner conflict there which could result in a a poor outcome a poor session have i got that right am i understanding that right spot on um so the approach i use in psychology is called acceptance and commitment theory and it looks at the idea that the more we try to shut down or quieten or fight those messages that our threat system is giving us the harder it becomes to do so. And as you said, we just kind of create inner conflict. Whereas if we, not welcome, but kind of accept that there are going to be uncomfortable things and that our amygdala, our threat system, is going to tell us things to try and keep us within our comfort zone rather than stretch ourselves, we can have a much more helpful process when we do need to push ourselves for performance. So I work with a, on a, I guess, a four-step process with my athletes where the first step is noticing the unhelpful things that our brain tells us when it doesn't want to go out and do scary or difficult things. Like, what are those messages that our brain tells us about you're going to fail, this is really hard, you're not going to achieve this, you're wasting your time, so-and-so is better than you. All of those help, unhelpful messages that our brain really feeds us to try and stop ourselves pushing ourselves. So we have a kind of that notice bit. And the next stage is a distancing part where you start to distance yourself from those thoughts. And that really helps us remember they're not facts. It's not a fact you're going to fail or that it's going to be really, really difficult. They're just thoughts. Thoughts change. But if we can distance ourselves from them by assigning them to our threat system rather than to ourselves, we get some space to be able to notice that they're just thoughts and not facts. And then we look to calm that system. So we're not telling it to shut up. Well, that's wrong. We start to give it facts that make it feel more comfortable. Um, and often that is evidence that we've done things before and all the things we do to build our own confidence we start to use as very obvious messages back to that unhelpful system in our brain and then the final stage is reminding our brain why we are putting ourselves through this and that's the bit we often skip but that's the bit that is so so important um so i'll give you an example if i've got a 10k race i know about seven kilometers in my threat system starts to go, why are you pushing yourself? This really hurts. You could stop right now. You could go for a coffee. No one cares what you do. Have it easy. Go on, take a break. Slow down. But, and I'm noticing very effectively those thoughts coming through. 
but I assign them to my threat system. It's like um, my threat system's called Joe, which is a nickname I had that I don't like. So it's like Joe is telling you to slow down. Joe is telling you to take it easy. So it's not me, it's Joe. And then I remind myself, I'm trying to calm Joe. It's okay, Joe, it's only 3K to go. And you have done this so many times. You've run thousands of miles. You can handle an extra 14, 15 minutes of pushing yourself. Your body has absolutely got that in it. So you're calming it. And then I go to why. And my why is my daughter. I want her to know you do hard things. And that if you sign yourself up for something, you don't wimp out. You don't take the easy route out. You push it until you've achieved it. And so I can be like, and you need to make Hattie proud. And Hattie's going to be proud when you finish that, you cross that finish line, you can hand over your medal to her. That will remind her that mummies can do hard things and so can she. And it sounds quite convoluted, but all of that goes through your head in about 20 seconds. But it's a really helpful way when you've practised and practised in non-performance life that you can do it in the middle of a performance to remind yourself, it's not that bad, I can do this and this is why. And runners are lucky because we've got loads of time to do that whilst we're out there. It's much harder for someone in um, a short sport or a combative sport that's trying to think that. But we've got time to do that. And if you practice that process, it comes much easier. Yeah, the speed of thoughts and the brain is incredible, isn't it? How it can just throw things to the front of our mind in, a, in an instant. This Is it a habit that you formed now? Is it ingrained, Josie? So when you're in those difficult moments, seven, seven kilometres into a 10k race, or is it a conscious thing? Do you still have to be mindful of that seven kilometre point and you, you're aware that this internal dialogue is going to start and then you're going to have to control and manage it and be aware of it? Or is it just instantaneous now? Have you built that habit? It's definitely not a habit. It's, um, it's, it's very much um, intentional, visual. And I do have that feeling of... Um, and maybe because I talk about this so much with athletes, obviously, but it is feeling like there's a drone above you and you're going through a process. Um, it, it, it's so difficult to predict often when it's going to come. Um, the more practice we get, the easier it is to go through that process. But I don't know whether that ever actually becomes a habit. It's funny when you mention getting some distance from things and, and thoughts and not facts, which is, I mean, what a takeaway that is. And it's important, I think, really helpful to try and remind remind ourselves of that. When, you were, when I was listening to you explain that, to me, I was almost thinking about helping a friend or, in my case, as a coach, helping one of my runners. It's very easy or easier, I think, for me to give myself distance from that thought that they're having or that opinion of that situation. Does that make sense? And, and, and offer them the notion that actually this is not a fact, this is a thought. Because I've naturally got that distance. I think it's harder when it's yourself, isn't it? Because you, you're trying to self-coach. Whether you've got a coach or you haven't got a coach, or you're a runner or you're not, does that make sense? You, you're trying to sort of see these things and then kind of combat them a little bit. It's a, it's a mess in the mind sometimes. And that's why... Um, <laughs> when I work with people, we name and we give a character to the threat system. Because trying to... The, the threat system's led by something called the amygdala, a tiny part of our brain. But that's not a, a brilliantly catchy phrase. Um, and who knows really what it looks like. Whereas if we give it a character and a name, it's much easier to imagine that. And often homework I give people will be, go and draw yours. What does it look like? 
Because when you can start to see it, you see it outside of your head a little bit, it's much easier to have that conversation. It is the encouraging running coach standing next to you that you can have a conversation with rather than feeling like it's your own brain trying to sabotage you. I guess that makes it less scary, right? If, you, if you've if you drawn it or visualised it, it's like, you know, we're scared of the unknown. You know, the moment you know who killed who in some thriller, it's like, oh, well, actually, it's not quite as scary, this this TV programme now, as it once was when, when it was the unknown and I didn't know who was doing what. So does that kind of help soften it as well? Is that kind of the, the idea behind that? activity that 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 uh, task yeah it becomes more visual uh more malleable facts can be very scary but thoughts change very very quickly so if you're assigning those things in your head to a character mine's a meerkat so i imagine my meerkat sticking up from under the sand looking around for all the threats it could see if it sees something it could fight it would leap out and have a fight. If it sees something it's very, very, very scared of, it might freeze or it might run away, the flight response. So for me, I can, almost just to to the right of my eye, I can see that's my meerkat, Joe, and we can have a conversation and I can soothe it and I can remind it why I am there and it massively calms it rather than feeling like we have to be super mentally tough and, and shut it down and keep it quiet. A really good example of this came up a few years ago where it was in golf, actually. And there was a golfer on one of... It was a big American tour. And they hit the ball straight into the water five times in a row. And you can just imagine in that player's head where they're doing the, do not hit it in the water, this must not go in the water, this must not go in the water. And the more you try not to do something... The more you try not to listen to your amygdala or, or not to drop out, the more it's likely to happen. Whereas when you focus on the thing you do want to do, it's much easier to do that. So if instead of this must not go in the water, the focus had been this needs to go on the green, I'm staring at the green, it's got to go on the green, that makes it much more likely to happen. So we really want to embrace and get to know our amygdala notice what it's telling us and why it's telling us that accepting that it's telling us that because it wants us to stay safe it doesn't want us to stretch our comfort zone because there's a risk when we do that but that we're doing it for a purpose and reminding it of that purpose the process feels much much easier yeah it's easy to to talk about and think about what you don't want what you're not happy with rather than how you do want something to look and how you do want it to be. I fall into that trap. You know, there's no question of that. This is a podcast we do every week, your weekly dose of running motivation, but I still have those motivation droughts, those fears, those anxieties over sessions or races or life or whatever. And it's very easy for me to fall into the trap of talking about how I don't want something to be rather than how I do want it to be. And and I can see how making that shift is a fundamental shift and how it can help performance. You mentioned earlier reminding yourself why you're doing it in reference to, again, your your own goals with 10Ks and various races. With psychology in mind, what are some of the the considerations when setting goals? Because that's got to be an important starting point, right, to get that goal in place and, and, and make it important to you. Because actually, if you can't answer the question, why am I doing this, when the going gets tough, then you're less likely to kind of push on, break through and achieve what it is you've set out. So what are some of the things to perhaps have in mind when setting goals? The biggest thing is it needs to 
to properly, properly motivate you. I always say, if you can't feel it in your tummy, like your tummy twisting with excitement, it's not the right goal. Because if it's a stretching goal, you are really, really going to need that feeling of, I really, really want this. And so the first time we do something, we often get that feeling. The first 10K, the first marathon. But after that, it can be much harder the second or time, third time you do something. So you do need that kind of twist in your tummy of, I really want this. And I think the more mature we get, the more we can start to move towards goals that matter to us rather than to everybody. And it's very easy to measure ourselves against kind of the metrics of society that are really easy to measure. So what time do you do for 10K? What place did you get in a race? But with some really, really good reflection and some maturity, I guess, we can start to look at, yeah, but what do I actually want from my running? What would make me feel successful? And maybe that's overcoming certain things that you've never been able to overcome before. Or maybe that's guide running for somebody else so that somebody else gets to experience the joy of running. But we start to find other things that matter more to us and we can then start to measure the actual metrics that matter to us rather than ones that are just really easy and probably quite lazy to measure. So most people do set their goals around outcomes um, and often they can be very motivational but they're very hard to control. So you could say I've got a local running race, Uh, I would love to win it, it would give me great kudos in my local club Um, I'd really love to win this one. And I've looked at the times for previous years and I think if I train really, really, really hard, I could do it. So that's my goal. I want to win this race. And you train really, really hard. And then you get onto the start line the morning of and you discover that Mo Farah's been doing a training camp nearby, wanted a little kick out that morning and has decided to enter the race at the last minute. And you could look across and go, oh, great, can't win now. What was the point? All of that was wasted because everything's been based on an outcome goal. Whereas if your goal was a new personal best, um, you could look across and you'd see Mo and you'd be like, amazing, I can just follow him round, he's going to drag me to a new PB. And so often when we've got outcome goals that we can't control, that can be really, really risky because we could lose very easily without being able to see the bigger picture. But the more in control we are of a goal, the more we get to enjoy the process of it and feel satisfied at the end of it. So we do tend to set outcome goals because they can be motivational, but we break them down into performance goals that are very specific and very much focused on reality if you work really, really hard. And then the important bit is actually breaking down the performance goals into processes. What processes do I need to know are in place that will get me towards those performances that might get me that outcome. Because even if you then miss the outcome, you'll still be so much further ahead than you would have been without it. I mean, I'm I'm buzzing just listening to you, Josie, seriously. This this is, is such good stuff. And, and the more kind of bits you give a training session or a race, you're talking about kind of process goals and other things that you, you might be more in control of, 
and not so much whether or not Mo turns up, rocks up and wins. But the more kind of bits you give it, the more exciting it is, the more chance you've got of being proud of yourself and moving forward. There's more things to kind of look at and build on and learn from. I, I really love all that. I'm just interested to know your thoughts on this because I think it's potentially an important, I don't know if it's a distinction to make, but certainly something that's in my mind. When we talk about as I do as a coach, really, really, really wanting a goal. You need to feel it in your stomach. You've got to want it. And for anybody that says, oh, I don't know what my why is, and you probably do. It's just very buried deeply and you need to bring it to the surface. But I'm guessing, and I'm interested to get your opinion on this, that we don't need to really, 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 really want it or feel like we really want it every minute of every day of every training session right up to the goal. And the reason I say that is, again, I think about myself and, and some of the runners that I coach, I know that I really want to achieve my goal. I know that my runners really want to achieve their goals. But there are definitely moments regularly where they're not feeling it or they're questioning why they're doing it. So are we talking about overall, overall, when you're sat on the sofa at home and you're no longer in pain in the middle of a session, you know why you are working towards your goal? Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah. And your, your why is probably nothing to do with running. Our why is bigger than that. Our why is... I mean, it's big picture, your purpose. When when we are no longer on this earth, was there a point of us being on this earth? It, there's a the really lovely Japanese concept called agaki, and it's the idea that we're kind of 80, we're in our rocking chair, we can look back on our lives and go, it was worth me being here because I did this. Um, one of the runners I featured in my new book is um, a long-distance runner called Damien Hall, and... He's in the chapter on purpose. And he's fascinating. When he set out to set a new world record for running the Pennine Way a couple of years ago, down his arm he had FFF written in great big marker. Um, and it stood for friends, family and the future. Because his whole thing is about, I've got kids and I want them to have a brilliant world to grow up into. And that means we need to sort out climate change. We need to look after our environment so much better. And so he didn't just set out to run, I can't remember how far it is, something like 268 miles. It's a really, really long way. Um, but he set out there with the challenge of, and whilst doing it, I'm going to make the world a better place in some small way. So... His pacers picked up any litter that they saw along the way. He only fueled himself with vegan foods. All his food was wrapped in compostable wrapping. His biggest rival, the guy that a week before had set the record, spent the whole two and a half days he was out there tweeting environmental stories that Damien would normally have tweeted so that a whole new group of people got to, to hear about these issues. And then Damien, he set the new world record he got to go on bbc breakfast and talk about it and it got him a bigger platform for his issues and it's so it his running became a way of amplifying his purpose and and being able to get that platform for it but it's a really good way to also be a better runner because you know if i do this and i achieve this i get the platform i need and so there's stories throughout that chapter of other people that have done it similarly. Um, but I think Damien is such a good example that when we know our why, often it's bigger than our running, but we can use our running for that purpose. And those days when we don't want to get up off the sofa and go for a run, or we've looked at our session plan and it looks horrible, and it's raining, and we're tired, and something's just gone wrong at work, and we've got 
all of these excuses that are very valid excuses to use why we don't want to go out there, if you've got that bigger purpose, it's much easier to go, I need to go because. Well, I'm going to be honest with you now. I, I, I was getting ready to wrap up this chat and, and then you just throw that my way. Your why is bigger than just your running. It amplifies <laughs> your purpose. I mean, I hope you've not got a busy day because we just need to carry on this chat now. That It's incredible to hear this stuff. And I, I often use the word sort of vehicle as well, which I guess is kind of a similar thing, that sometimes when we look to achieve goals, it's just, you know, running is a vehicle to achieve other things. When you do achieve that goal, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to those important people around you? In, in the case of Damien Hall, what does it mean to the future? What does it mean to the future of your kids and their kids? You know, it's fascinating, powerful and deep stuff. While I've got you, Josie, and I'm very conscious that you're a super busy lady, really appreciate you talking to us. I just want to throw this your way if I can. So uh, this morning, knowing that obviously we're having this chat, super excited, I messaged my guys in, uh, in, in the performance community, which is my coaching group, and I said, look, this is going to be great. I'm chatting with Dr. Uh, Josie Perry today. So I just throw that, I'm going to throw this your way. How do you feel before an important race or tough training session? What are some of the things that go through your mind? Now, this is a question I pose to the guys and girls in the team. I know that some of the answers to these, but one of them, and I'm just going to throw one your way. Uh, this was Francis who said he often feels anxiety and negativity. So can I do this? What if I don't execute the session or race correctly? I always feel like I've not prepared enough. And then he goes on to say, why did I you know these internal dialogue? Why did I sign up for this? I should have trained better. Just picking some bits. I know we haven't got time for a big, you know, to coach now, but just picking up on some of those comments there, you know, can I do this? What if I don't execute it correctly? You should have trained better. What are some ways of combating that? So there are 12 different sources of confidence that help us when we're on that start line feel like you can do this. But there are two that are super robust. So even if we've had a really awful run of races, if we've really worked on these two, they really help us. So one is having evidence that we have done things before. And so I think training diaries are really, really helpful for this. The more we can put into a training diary and give ourselves evidence of what we've done, the better. We've got great quick things to look at. Um, and the other one is having done really, really good preparation. And I remember one of the other chapters in the book, the chapter on confidence, I interviewed an amazing athlete called Emma Wiggs, who is a paracanoist. And I contacted her and said, can I interview you for my chapter on confidence? And she was like, why? I'm not confident. I was like, what? You've, you've got a Paralympic gold medal. She's now got two. Um, you've won eight world titles. How are you not confident? And she's like, I am the worst for walking or for, for being around the start line um, and for saying to my coach, look, they're looking so fit. They're so much better than me. And my coach is like, they're not even in a boat. How have you got any idea how fit they are? And she said, what, what he reminds me and what, what I have to remind myself is everything I've done in the build-up. And she's like, and hand on heart, I know... I've spent more time in the gym than anyone else. I've probably spent more time in the boat than anyone else. I've definitely asked my coach more questions than anyone else. And I eat more cottage cheese than any other athlete has ever eaten. So <laughs> she gets to a point where she says, it almost doesn't matter what the outcome is because she can sit on the start line and hand on heart, know she's done her best to get there. And similarly, I remember Vicky Holland talking after the Rio Olympics 
about how she had a pre-race routine that took her through literally every minute of her day of the Rio Olympics to the point where she got on the start line and she could honestly say, whatever happens now happens, stuff will happen. Particularly the longer you go, um, the fact you're racing outside, stuff happens all the time. It's not like we've got a very contained 100-metre sprint race in a stadium where it's protected. Stuff will happen when we're running outside or doing these kind of sports. But hands on heart, I know I've done everything I could to get me to the best place. And I think that can often give us that comfort of, okay, stuff might happen right now, but I've done everything I can to get here and I feel proud of that. So that gives us a reassurance, I think. And then it's about setting the right goal for the race. So I have confidence cards that I send to all my athletes and they fill them in before a race. The first question on there is, what's your goal? And the only rule is it cannot be to win because we can't control that. We don't know who else is going to show up. We don't know what's going to happen. But if you have a goal on there that you can control... It's so much more powerful. Um, my fastest ever Ironman, my only goal was to smile and thank every marshal. There was nothing about performance in there in the same way. But I knew if I smiled and thanked every marshal, I would relax, I would feel calm, I would enjoy it. When I enjoy things, I perform better. And so again, that comes to the really understanding what helps you perform at your best. If you can create a goal around that, plus you do all the the background and the preparation so hand on heart every stone I have unturned I know I'm in a good place then you're much more likely to do well in the actual race how powerful is that and I think from this chat Josie you've helped not just Francis with his anxiety and confidence issues when it comes to training or racing things that we can all relate to but every other listener to this podcast I think there's so many takeaways from our chat today thank you so much for coming on and talking to us Josie I do know that you are super busy obviously making time to uh, run this session this afternoon looking forward to it fired up now ready for it uh we'll see <laughs> She's human. Josie <laughs> is human. I love it. If you want to find out a little bit more about what Josie does, then you can check out her website, performanceinmind.co.uk. We will link that in the show notes page, which is runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Uh, Josie, just tell me a bit about the book coming out. That's coming out very soon. Excited for this? Yes, it comes out 25th of August, so it's available for pre-order. It's called The Ten Pillars of Success, and it takes ten characteristics that makes success much more likely in life. Um, so I have an academic background, so it's very evidence-based. There are literally thousands of journal articles that I read and pulled together for it. But then each chapter has an interviewee that really brings those points to life. So Dame Kelly Holmes talks about belonging. Damien Hall, as I mentioned, talks about purpose. Lucy Gossage, the oncologist and triathlete, talks about gratitude. Casper um, Berry, who's a poker was a poker player, talks about process. Sarah Pasco, the comedian, talks about internal insight. And they really bring kind of, I guess, the academic elements to life to show how it's really helped them in their careers. The 10 pillars of success, we're all over that. Evidence-based, we like that stuff. We love it on this show. Uh, Josie, I've got one final question for you before I let you go. We do ask all of our guests this question, and I'm particularly interested to hear your response. Are you ready? Yeah. This is Running With Jake, the podcast, your weekly dose of running motivation. What does the word motivation mean to you? Power. Josie? Great to chat. 
Have a good session this afternoon. Catch up soon. Bye. Running with Jake, the podcast. How great was Josie? Josie was amazing. Josie was... She's like a proper doctor, and we're calling her Josie, rather than, thank you, doctor, yes, doctor, no, doctor. I like that about Josie. Blowing my mind. Absolutely blows my mind, that stuff. I love the whole psychology behind training. Fascinating. Fascinating. I'm actually going to draw my little internal Jake, my bad Jake, my evil Jake that gets in the way of things. I'm going I'm to do that. I'm going to get a piece of A4 paper after the show and I'm going to doodle. And I might even steal her idea. I'm thinking of going down the meerkat route. Because let's be honest, and in mm. fact, I think everybody should go down the meerkat route. Because let's be honest, car insurance, that shit is well scary, man. That is well scary. <laughs> it is. It is. Absolutely. You're right. And who, what's your um, what's your little evil Jake going to be called? Yeah, I haven't really thought about that. A little name. A little name. Don't know. What do you think? Maybe we should pick each other's name. What? what who, who, who do you think I should be? What do you think I should have? What should I go for? I don't need to be doing that now. This is pressure I can't deal with. God, no, I don't perform well under pressure. God damn it. Let's just wrap up the show. <laughs> I know. A massive thank you to today's awesome guest, Dr. Josephine Perry. Don't forget to check out uh, Josie's new book coming out. Go to the show notes page, which is runningwithjack.com forward slash podcast. We will be back, as you know well by now. Is that a good phrase to yes, use? Yes, that's a great phrase to use. If you're a regular listener, you know we're going to be back next week. That's what we're all about. Motivation. That's what the podcast is about. Have a great rest of the week. See you soon. Oh, and one more thing. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and take a look around once in a while, you could miss it. 